Hello and welcome to a superb owl episode of the Play It As It Lies podcast. Smash those words together and you get one miraculous, incredible event that comes only once a year. And it was just one year ago today, Frank, that this podcast dear started with the same miraculous word. And that word, of course, is in its 55th iteration, the Super Bowl Chiefs versus Buccaneers, the game of the year. We've been building up to a year. Surprisingly, we actually got here on time. COVID-19 can't even stop the Super Bowl. But Frank, we've got a lot to say with the Super Bowl. So let's get started. How are you doing so far, though? Rotom, I'm doing fantastic. I couldn't be more excited about this game. The Super Bowl is the greatest show on earth, greatest show on turf. And like you said, uh, it feels a little bit different this time around because we weren't entirely sure whether or not we were going to be here in early February preparing to talk about another Super Bowl. And, and before we get into it, Rotom, I'm curious for you, does this year's Super Bowl feel any different given that the whole entire season was just played with a pandemic? There won't be a full stadium of fans down in Tampa Bay. To me, it still feels like the Super Bowl. It's still the same spectacle and it still has all the hype and the excitement around it. But what do you think? No, I 100% agree. And we're going to start talking about things like the halftime show in a little bit. But I think the NFL has done a really phenomenal job of kind of still capturing the same essence of the Super Bowl. I think as not fans of the two teams participating, I think we might have a little bit of a different view than potentially as a Chiefs fan or a Bucks fan. But I'm still as hyped as any Super Bowl as I've ever seen that the Ravens aren't playing in. And the weekend is looking like one of the best halftime shows coming up. Uh, Commercials have been flying left and right looking just as impressive as they ever have. Uh, and it doesn't really seem like the NFL has missed a beat. Uh, and it's impressive not only that they've gotten to this point on time, no week 18, no nothing added to the season to make it get here, uh, but that they're doing it in such a phenomenal way. So in the few times that we can say it, props to the NFL and Roger Goodell. You won't hear that often. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's different for obvious reasons, but at the end of the day, the Super Bowl is still the Super Bowl. And it's going to be super because we have a great matchup on our hands. Yes, we do. And that is the matchup that we're probably going to be talking about for quite a while here. And obviously the matchup that most people are talking about is a quarterback. But Frank, we start with the team on team action. The AFC Lamar Hunt Trophy recipients of 2020. The Kansas City Chiefs, the number one seed in the AFC, will be going up against the home team for the first time ever. The home team in a Super Bowl. It's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Fifth seed, a wild card back to the Super Bowl. Uh, it happens all the time, but we always surprise when it happens. But Tom Brady and his Buccaneers have gotten here to play together with the line currently set at plus three and a half and the Tampa Bay money line set at plus 140. Frank, obviously you've probably had quite a long time to think of your first thoughts for these games. What are your current thoughts on this game? Well, I definitely have had a long time to think about this. And from the Chiefs' perspective, I've had over a year to think about this because... And we've been in the same boat, and we've said it week in and week out. We both thought that the Chiefs were going to be back in this same spot, just like they were last year. Uh, from the beginning of the season, we thought that. In the middle point of the season, we thought that. And when the postseason rolled around, we thought the same thing. So it's not surprising in the slightest that the Chiefs are playing in this game. On the flip side of the spectrum, I don't think we foresaw the Buccaneers getting to this situation. We knew at the beginning of the season that with Tom Brady coming on board, anything's possible. But it was a season of ups and downs, ebbs and flows for Tampa Bay. 
but they turned it on when they needed to in the postseason. They scored 30-plus points in three straight playoff games, and here we are. And it's something you kind of called a couple weeks ago after the wild card round. Uh, the Buccaneers, to get to the Super Bowl, were around plus 500, plus 650. And you kind of laid that prediction down, so credit to you. But with all this being said, the Chiefs are still the team to beat in this game. And they're minus three and a half. And no disrespect to the Buccaneers, but from my perspective, I think this line should have been four and a half, uh, maybe even five. Because the storyline's Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. And Brady is, without a doubt, the greatest quarterback of all time. And the Buccaneers' defense has been exceptional this year, exceptional in the postseason. And they've had a lot of players who have overachieved, and credit to them. But the Chiefs are just the better team to me. And the Chiefs are just a different animal. And we saw it last week. Uh, anyone who had any doubts that they weren't going to be able to turn it on and flip the switch, which is what we've been saying all season, they were proven wrong because that's exactly what the Chiefs did against the Bills. And now they have momentum on their side heading into this game. And I really don't foresee a scenario in which the Buccaneers are able to pull off this upset. And I, I don't know if that's disrespectful to Tom Brady. It's hard to bet against Brady in this game, but the Chiefs are... They're just next level, and they can just unlock a different spectrum that even this Buccaneers team I don't think can match. Yeah, and I appreciate the props from earlier of uh, reminding everyone that I did call the Super Bowl at the beginning of the playoffs. But the big thing for me is that the reason I had called that was I truly believe that the comparison between LeBron and the Warriors, the Chiefs, of course, being the Warriors and LeBron being Tom Brady. But you know what happened in three of those four matchups? Well, it was miraculously a Warriors destruction of the Cavaliers. And as good as LeBron James is and as good as Tom Brady is, there's a superpower, historically amazing superpower on the other sideline. And barring something as insane as a 3-1 comeback, and we've already seen one of those in Tom Brady's career versus the Falcons in a Super Bowl, it's going to take an insane amount of firepower, game planning, winning at every single position, to do that, and I agree with you absolutely that I think the line is just, it's just given too much to Tom Brady's legacy than it should for the quality that is the Chiefs team. And obviously there are a few more storylines, especially with their off of both of the Chiefs starting offensive tackles being out, uh, some other potential COVID misses thing, but I mean, come on. I, you might say minus five. I dare go to minus seven. This team is... So much better than the Buccaneers. I, I'm. That's a whole touchdown. Oh, that's a whole touchdown. That is that is in fact a whole touchdown. And I did I did mention that uh, the Bucks money line is at plus one forty. If you wanted the better odds on something that big, Chiefs minus six and a half, like I think the line should be at, is plus one fifty right now in alt spreads. Uh, so that that's as high as I would go right now as the initial spread should be. Yeah, it's totally not out of the question. And. Again, we do have to give props to the Buccaneers because while it sounds like we're counting them out of this game, you don't get to the Super Bowl if you weren't deserving of it. And yes, Tom Brady, uh, he draws all the headlines. The Buccaneers almost certainly aren't in this position, if not for Brady's leadership in his guidance at the quarterback position. But defensively, I think is the biggest story for the Buccaneers and the biggest factor in this game, if they have any chance pulling off an upset in this game. It has to be because 
their talent on defense shows up in a huge way and makes plays and disrupts this historically good Chiefs offense. And it starts at the line of scrimmage. And you you touched on it briefly. Both of the Chiefs' offensive tackles, Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz, are not going to be playing in this game. And that's kind of the most important storyline that not a lot of people are talking about. And with the Buccaneers' pass rush, led by JPP, Shaq Barrett, Vita Vea, defensive tackle position, it's not unforeseeable that the defensive line for the Buccaneers could be a huge factor in this game. And I really think that if any other team in the NFL were down both starting tackles heading into the Super Bowl, they would not be favored by minus three points. And we would not be talking about them as a shoo-in to win this game. It's only the Chiefs. They're the only team that belongs in that sort of category and that gets the benefit of the doubt. So, Rotom, do you think that the injuries the Chiefs have at both tackles position, is that their undoing? Or could it be maybe to some other factors? Well, Frank, you know, there's nothing more I like talking about than offensive linemen in the NFL. But I think this is a situation that might be blown a little bit out of proportion. It could be a big reason why this line is a lot closer because people look at the fact that both of their starting tackles are out. But the drop-off between Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher, who were both phenomenal, but both of them were probably in the conversation somewhere for All-Pro nominations, which are well-deserved, isn't that huge from the guys behind them. We'll start on the left with Eric Fisher, who's being replaced with Mike Remmers, who's played in the Super Bowl. You might remember for him the Panthers. He also has quite a long career playing for the Giants, Panthers, Rams, Vikings, Chargers, Buccaneers, and he's played pretty well for a lot of them. And Remmers is definitely not a disappointment, and... That can be said the same thing for the guy on the opposite side of him from the offensive line this week. Newest right tackle, Steven Wisniewski, uh, who did used to play as a guard, but he himself is also familiar to the Super Bowl. Two-time Super Bowl winner. He did win it last year with the Chiefs, but he was also the starting right tackle, replacing Jason Peters in the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl. So, you know, you don't get many often teams that are not just so talented with their weapons, but their offensive line is so deep that they've lost their starting right guard, Kalike Assembly earlier in this year. Their other starting guard, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, opted out for the season. Their starting center was hurt for most of the season, and their, their backup center just went to a barber shop. He got hit himself into a COVID scare. And so they're on to their backup player in every single offensive line position, and yet they still should be favored by a full touchdown because the phenomenal work that not only Andy Reid has done, but their GM, Veach, uh, deserves... Tons of credit, because I love talking about how bad offensive te- offenses perform this, the week after they play without their left tackle. But Patrick Mahomes is the exception to many rules, and this is another one of those rules that he, by himself, should, exception, should be an exception to, especially with the solid offensive line that his backups provide. Right, absolutely. And that's a great point, because it's not like, you know, they're, they're throwing this patchwork line together. They are to a certain extent, and obviously they're at a slight disadvantage not having, you know, Pro Bowl caliber tackles uh, in the starting lineup, but they're not putting undrafted rookies out there. I mean, they're putting experienced guys uh, with experience in big games, like like you said with Mike Remmers. And there's no coach, and there's no coach quarterback combination that you trust more to overcome not having two starting tackles than Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, because it'll be a combination of Andy Reid uh, scheming up a game plan knowing that Tampa Bay's defense and Todd Bowles will try to take advantage of the injuries they have. And if things break down, there's no better ad-lib quarterback in the NFL than Patrick Mahomes. So what I think we could see out of the Chiefs, 
maybe not a lot of the deep vertical passes that we're so used and accustomed to seeing with them, but more intermediate and short throws to kind of neutralize the pass rush and the free rushers that Tampa Bay is going to throw at them. And last week, I want to say that Patrick Holmes' average target depth was only around 5.7 or to 6.2, somewhere in that range. So they don't have to throw the ball deep to beat you. I mean, it's death by a thousand cuts with this Chiefs offense. And if this sort of game plan comes about, I think you're going to see a lot of underneath throws to Travis Kelsey, uh, some screens to Tyreek Hill, McCall Hardman, uh, some drags to Sammy Watkins. It, there's just only so much you can do. And Tampa Bay's defense is one of the better units in the league. And at the end of the day, it probably doesn't matter. And it's kind of unfortunate for Tampa Bay, but this is the Super Bowl. And to be the best, you have to be the best, and you have to play a perfect game against this Chiefs team. And for as good as the Buccaneers have been in the postseason, ripping off three straight victories, I'm not so sure we've seen them play a complete four-quarter game of football just yet. And I don't think it's going to happen in this game. Yeah, and, and that four quarters, it's tough. And we've seen – I don't think we've seen either side of the Bucks team – really play four quarters of solid football yet uh, obviously the offense looked like it was really on the way playing a, a phenomenal first half versus the Packers but three interceptions by Tom Brady really dropped that ball and they still haven't played that well all, all around torched from especially with the cornerbacks getting pretty torched for a majority of last game versus the Packers it's not like they did too great against anyone but Michael Thomas the week before so it really is just hard to trust them all around. But outside of that, uh, we've got to talk about some stars, Frank. And, and I think it, it goes without saying that we've said one man's name over and over and over again. Let's talk about the guy who's getting the, the ball to. And it's, what are the Buccaneers going to do about Tyreek and Travis? Tyreek got over 200 yards against them in their Week 2 matchup, uh, including three touchdowns. Uh, setting record upon record upon record of first half's first quarter records. Uh, and Travis Kelsey, as we already know, with 1,400 yards, the most receiving yards of a tight end ever in the regular season, is a threat anywhere. So you start getting behind not only of one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game, one of the greatest tight ends to ever play the game, one of the fastest wide receivers who already torched you this season. Do you have faith in what is a good defense to do their job and defend? Because it's a lot to defend. Yeah, it definitely is. And normally you would say yes, but again, with this Chiefs team, no lead is safe. And we've beaten this drum so many times, and it's been beaten by everyone. You look at the playoffs last year. They fell down by 20-plus points against the Texans. Uh, they come back and drop 50 and almost scored 50 unanswered points and win by multiple touchdowns. They fall down early against the Titans in the AFC Championship game. They end up winning that game as well. Last week, they fall down 9-0 against the Bills in the first quarter. They fumble a punt in their own five-yard line. And for any other team, that's like, okay, it's a huge uphill climb now. But the minute the Chiefs got the ball back, went down the field and scored and cut it to 7-9 to nine against the Bills, and then a three and out by Buffalo the next possession, you kind of felt like the game was already over. And you can't say that about any other team. And it is interesting because the Chiefs, they're not exactly a team that always starts fast, right? I mean, I just outlined multiple scenarios in which they fell down early. And I'm not saying that's going to happen in this game, but I do foresee a first half 
that's somewhat competitive. And I think this is kind of to draw to draw a scenario. This could be kind of like a boxing match between two heavyweights, Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao, where you have two strong coaching staffs, two great quarterbacks on both sides of the ball, and they're kind of going to feel each other out through the first two quarters. And they're not going to call all of their most creative plays in the first half. And I think it's going to be close in the first half. And we saw it last year in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs and 49ers were tied at halftime. I believe it was 10 to 10 apiece or 13 to 13. And then the Chiefs went on to win that game. And if you thought that that exact scenario was going to play out this time, where it's tied in the first half and the Chiefs win the game, it's plus 1,700 for those odds. And if you told me that happens, I wouldn't call you crazy. Because I think that the Buccaneers are going to come out and be prepared to a certain extent because that's what Tom Brady does. And I think the Buccaneers offense will score in the first quarter. They're going to score in the second quarter. It's just a matter of how many points are they going to score. And unless they jump out to an insurmountable lead, that being maybe 21 plus points, then I think the Chiefs are still going to end up winning. But maybe the Buccaneers are actually leading in the first half by a field goal or so. And then the Chiefs win. That's plus 650. Either way, that's kind of the, envi- the scenario I envision. Maybe a, a low-scoring first half compared to what people think. Followed by a Chiefs uh, offensive explosion and, and momentum swinging in their favor in the second, in the third and fourth quarter. And they go on to win. And I'm going to say that they win 31-24. to 24. I think this is a touchdown victory. And in terms of exact score odds, if the game's decided by seven points in Kansas City's favor, that's plus 750. And obviously, it's a shot in the dark trying to predict an exact score. But I think most people think that the Chiefs do win somewhere between one to five points, which is plus 430. And I know you're in in the same boat here. I think it's a little more lopsided than that. I think the Chiefs win by at least five plus points and and i feel pretty confident about that prediction yeah i i would feel pretty confident about that and i i would feel even more confident to go a little bit higher than you but to get to your first point about the buccaneers starting early i, I think that's going to be their game plan 100 percent. as we've seen not just from last year's super bowl but from the chiefs throughout the season they've got a lot of tricks up their sleeves if they really need to pull them out they're going to pull them out and they've got a lot of playmakers to make those happen Things like last year's signature wasp play or the counter pull that they do pretty much on the goal line every time to just pitch a play up to Travis Kelsey. They have signature plays that are beatable, legitimately beatable, that you can figure out if Todd Bowles sits down long enough and he just plays those balls. But the thing is, that's not all of their signature plays. Unlike most prolific offenses, they don't just have one, two, three plays that they're going to go to as their bread and butter. They have hundreds upon hundreds of things they can do with. That's going to be adjustments that are probably going to be made in the second half. And so I absolutely agree with you. I really like those odds on the Buccaneers to be leading in the first uh, and then lose all control of the game in the second half, uh, which is kind of what their offense did last week. So I think if they play a very similar performance as they did last week or two weeks ago in the on the offense, at least... Frank, uh, like almost every game I feel like we agree with, I'm going to try and be a little bit bolder than you. Uh, you took 31-24, to a seven-point lead. I'll agree with you. Uh, they're probably going to score 30. I'm going to go for an extra field goal there, give Harrison Butker a little love. 34-21. Uh, to 21. Uh, That is a 13-point difference. I, I, re- I feel really confident about this one. I, I just don't see a world in which not only do the Chiefs not win this, uh, they don't win this handedly. I think the only world in which that this in which this doesn't happen um, 
could be a few more garbage time scores. Um, and, and I think that is 100% possible. Maybe it does get up to 34-21. Uh, but if that doesn't happen, uh, one of the better odds that you can take on that one for the range to be between 13 and 18 points is the Chiefs to win by that range at plus 750, uh, which does end up being pretty good odds if uh, you're like me and you really think the Chiefs are about to blow the, the game out of the water. Yeah, it's a big number. And one one that's a healthy number, I would say. So we both have the final score accumulating to 55 points exactly. And this is a good segue into noting that the over-under is set at 56 and a half. So it might be surprising to some people that we're both taking the under, seeing as though these are two of the most high-scoring offenses in the, in the NFL. On the season, their combined points-per-game average was just over 60 points between the two of them. But in most Super Bowls, obviously, you have two capable, talented offenses, but that doesn't always mean that a lot of points are going to be scored. Because, again, it's a high-pressure situation. A lot of times, teams don't come out of the gate and start fast. Both offenses are kind of tight sometimes. We saw that last year. We saw that with the Patriots-Rams a couple of years ago. And since 2010, it's kind of been a bit of, it's kind of been a, bit of a crapshoot in terms of whether the under or over is hit. The over is hit six times. The under is hit five times. So it's almost a 50-50 split. However, in the past two Super Bowls, the ones I just mentioned, the under is hit two times in a row. And like I said before, if it's kind of like a boxing match between two heavyweights, I think a lot of points will be scored, but I would be more confident with the under of 56.5. And And I think more points are going to be scored in the second half than the first half which has happened in 17 out of the past 22 Super Bowls. And I'll end this by saying, with my prediction of the Chiefs winning by seven points and the under of 56.5 points hitting, and you could get on this too, Rotom, you could parlay Chiefs minus 3.5 plus the under 56.5 points for plus 290 value, which is uh, not too shabby. Just throwing it out there, I mean, it doesn't hurt. And I want to have a conversation about legacy with you, Rotom. But before that, one more prop about this game uh, that I'd like to throw you. There's a question of, will the team who scores last win the game? Most of the time, that tends to happen. And it's plus, it's minus 190, yes. But the no is plus 145. And based on both of our predictions, speaking for myself, I can see a scenario in which the Bucks are trying to mount a fourth quarter comeback. Tom Brady has the ball. They score a touchdown with about five minutes or so left in the fourth quarter to cut it to a one possession game. And on that same possession, they go for two and they get it, which leads me into another line. Will a two point conversion be attempted in this game is minus 135. Yes. Will a two point conversion be converted plus 275. Yes. I like both of those numbers because I think either of these teams will attempt a two-point conversion. One of them will convert it. And going back to what I was just saying, I think the Buccaneers score late in the fourth quarter, cut it to single digits. But when Kansas City gets the ball back, they run out the clock, they convert a third down or two, and the game is over. Yeah, I I, I love that prop. Um, you know, just look at look at the game versus the Browns. You know that the Kansas City is to make sure they can clean up a game, will be willing to do anything, including going for it on fourth and one with your backup quarterback. 
Uh, and you got to believe that Andy Reid, if he is given the opportunity to ice out a game and put a second ring on his finger as soon as possible, will take that opportunity. Uh, and therefore, I think that prop is a really good one to bring out. But Frank, you mentioned legacy. Uh, someone mentioned that these two players are uh, a goat and a baby goat, uh, as, as the media has popularly liked to name Mr. Mahomes. Uh, and we have a prop of whether that will be noticed, but... Which of this game? Which of these two quarterbacks do you think this game means more to? Uh, as as the words of Tony Romo, a man who will be calling this game, he said that Patrick Mahomes has to win this game in order to really take over Brady at any point in his career as goat, because this would be the one matchup where he could really prove that he's the better quarterback. But now a Brady at forty three could potentially put a ring on his finger, a seventh ring on his finger in his tenth Super Bowl. Which which one of these quarterbacks do you think this game means more to? Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you the same exact question. And I've been thinking about this and I've kind of come to the conclusion that, yes, it's the Super Bowl, but the result of this game is not a nail in the coffin, per se, for the legacy of either quarterback. And I don't think in a vacuum it really means all that much for the legacy of Tom Brady or for the legacy of Patrick Mahomes. And my reasoning is... Tom Brady, 6-3 and three in the Super Bowl. If he ends up being 6-4 and four in the Super Bowl, no one's going to say that he's no longer the greatest quarterback of all time. And the feat of him bringing this Buccaneers team to the Super Bowl in his first year with the new team is already etched in stone. No one can take that away from him. And for Mahomes, I think Romo's point that if, he loses, if Mahomes loses this game to Brady, he could not never ever be considered the greatest quarterback of all time one day that's just something i disagree with and i know we're talking about mahomes as the potential goat one day is looking 10 15 years down the line but one loss in the super bowl is not going to define his career even if it's against tom brady even if he ends up having an 0-2 record against brady in the super bowl if when it's all said and done mahomes has seven rings, the same amount of rings as Brady, I don't think people are going to look back to this moment and say, well, Mahomes lost to Brady in the Super Bowl, so even if he's blown all of his numbers out of the water and he's statistically the best quarterback of all time, that he can't be considered the GOAT because he lost to Brady when he was 25 and Brady was 43. And I don't know if you see it the same way, but to me, I think that's it's a little bit irrational and premature to say that Mahomes' legacy is ultimately going to be defined by this one game when he has the rest of his career ahead of him. Yeah, I definitely agree on the Mahomes front um, because, like you mentioned, he's 25 and he's not looking like this is going to be his last Super Bowl. Um, but we said a similar thing about Aaron Rodgers uh, when he was coming out. You know, he got into a Super Bowl in his third season as a starter and it was looking like he was going to be back and back and back and he hasn't been back since. Not saying that Mahomes won't, because obviously he's already gotten here twice and almost got here a third time if it wasn't for Tom Brady being his first starter season as a rookie, as a starter. Uh, but there definitely is not a nail in the coffin here. He has at least 15 more years to continue developing his resume. That being said, I kind of disagree with you. I think this game is pretty important for Tom Brady and his legacy-wise, because it's not really about the number of rings he's got on the finger. It's the symbol that's going to be on that ring. And if you look at some other GOATs, the, one of the biggest arguments against guys in basketball, uh, at least in the LeBron-Jordan conversation, is that LeBron has won three different three rings on three different teams, being the Heat, the Cavs, and the Lakers now. 
Uh, and the biggest one of them all was that one against the Lakers, the one when he brought a trophy back to his hometown of Cleveland in his home state, his favorite team, the ones that drafted him. And uh, yeah, it's true that it's nice that that story, the, the whole LeBron to Cleveland got it a ring. But the big part about that ring and why that's so important to his legacy is that he beat the greatest team to ever play basketball together. Not only did he do it in a phenomenal fashion, 3-1, but he just did it. He, he beat the best regular season team of all time. And I think that that could be the big reason of why this matters so much to Brady. Because Brady being able to say that, being he beat the dynasty in, make, in the making at the moment of the Chiefs, and he did it without Bill Belichick, with the Buccaneers logo there, without his quote-unquote system that he's been a system quarterback for, without the quote-unquote Belichick way, the Patriots way helping him. It doesn't really matter how many rings or that record in the Super Bowl. I think the fact in this exact scenario versus a great quarterback versus a dynasty in the making versus a team that looks unbeatable. I mean, look at how we're predicting the score. If he defies the odds in such a miraculous way, this goes down as probably Tom Brady's most important Super Bowl victory out of all of the seven. Maybe except for the Falcons one because, God, that was a great game. But this, this I think this would be a pretty close second. So for, for all intents and purposes, this is definitely a much more important game for Brady, in my opinion. I understand that argument, and it's a strong one. But my question would be, if Brady loses this game, do you think that damages uh, his resume as being the greatest quarterback of all time when it's all said and done? Uh, say a scenario unfolds where Mahomes and Brady both end up finishing with six Super Bowls. On the flip side, will people point to Brady and say, oh, well, he lost to Mahomes in the Super Bowl 12-odd-some years ago, therefore Mahomes has the edge. Yes, yes, I absolutely do, because it, it's I'm going back to that basketball conversation because it's the other closest GOAT conversation we have. It, people point to the fact that Michael Jordan never beat the Lakers, uh, never beat the Magic Lakers in his prime. He never beat Larry Bird. He beat the Pistons, but it took probably the greatest coach of all time joining the team uh, and one of the best defenders of all time really getting to his prime at the moment. Yeah, this is a team game, and that's very important. But sometimes, just getting that monkey off your back, being able to say, yeah, yeah, I beat the greatest team of my decade, and he's done it three times now, aside from the fact that he's been the best team of the decade in two of those decades, it, it, it would be utterly amazing. I think it's a much bigger win if he wins. I, I agree with you. I think him losing isn't that big of a deal uh, in football. So, yeah. Yeah, the cross-sport the cross sport comparison is an interesting one, and I think there is some weight to it, definitely, and it, we could spend hours and hours talking about that, talking about the legacy. Uh, it's kind of exhausted at this point. I mean, for the past week and a half, all we've heard in the news is Mahomes, Brady, legacies, GOAT, day in, day out. And, uh, you know, I'm just excited to start talking about some other players because, contrary to popular belief, uh, football is a 53-man roster sport, which means there's plenty of other players uh, with their own legacies and their own implications on the line, uh, and quite a few who could have standout performances in their own right. Yeah, and we speak about legacies of very important competitions at the quarterback battle. Let's move on to a very important position where two of the where two of, I'd say, the top 10 players at their positions uh, will not quite be going head-to-head, but will both be looking to have very good games. Uh, both of the guys wearing 87 on both of these teams, Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey. Now, I already talked about how Kelsey has set season, single-season records pretty much all over the place for tight ends, but last year in the Super Bowl, 
stayed a little quiet. Last year, he only had 43 yards and six receptions. He did manage to grab a touchdown, but for Travis Kelsey, who averages 71 yards per game uh, and 7.75 receptions per game uh, in his career, not even last year, uh, that, it was a pretty quiet game. But this year, he's been on quite a run. 94.4 yards per game, seven receptions a game, and almost one full touchdown a game, .73 touchdowns. Here he's got quite a few good props, but Frank, if I may start with Mr. Kelsey, how do you feel about over 7.5 receptions for him at minus 110? I love it. I love it a lot, and I don't see how you couldn't, given everything that he's done this season, and especially over the past two games. I mean, in this postseason, just unprecedented production from the tight end position, including Gronkowski. I mean, even prime Gronkowski wasn't necessarily putting up these types of numbers, and that's no that's not to discredit Gronk, who's one of the best playoff tight ends ever, but eight catches, 109 yards against the Browns, 13 catches, 118 yards against the Bills with three combined touchdowns. It's incredible. And Kelsey is always open. He always finds a way to get open, whether it's beating man coverage, finding soft spots in zones. There's very little any defense can do to stop him. And we talked about the strategy that the Bucks might deploy. You mentioned earlier how Tyree Kill very easily could have broken the single-season game receiving record against Tampa Bay earlier in the season. And if the Buccaneers do have a little bit of PTSD from that moment and they're adamant on not letting Hill beat them deep, you're going to have to seed some plays underneath. You're going to have to seed some open zone spots over the middle of the field. And that's where Kelsey thrives, whether it's on third down, second down, first down. It really doesn't matter because... Kelsey is just fantastic, and he's pretty much unguardable at this stage in his career, I think. Seven and a half is a high number, but it's the same number that he hit the over on in midway in the second quarter of last week. And I know this Buccaneers defense is better than the Bills defense. They have good linebackers. They have decent safeties, but no one can match up with Kelsey one-on-one. And I don't think the Buccaneers personnel is going to be good enough to slow him down. And especially compared to last year's Super Bowl, I think he's going to double up those numbers and maybe even blow them out of the water. And I think Kelsey, it's a big bet for another big game in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I absolutely agree for absolutely every reason. I actually don't have much to add there. Um, I have been pretty contentiously uh, hating these Buccaneers safeties for a long time. I do think Antoine Winfield Jr. specifically is a little bit overhyped. We have seen a few great plays from Jordan Whitehead, uh, both of which are currently on the injured reserve. They're both questionable. But they're likely going to be bracketing Tyreek Hill uh, with a safety pretty much the entire game with whatever quarterback happens to be on him. And even if you leave another safety over top Kelsey along with, I don't know, a linebacker or a cornerback, whoever you happen to be on him, that's still not enough. Absolutely not enough. And with two guys that are injured at the moment, if they both happen to play, which it looks like they're both going to, that's just not a good recipe for Kelsey, who in any zone defense is going to find the soft spot with Mahomes not having both of his tackles, going to be on the move a little bit more. And there's no one better, no security safety blanket better than Travis Kelsey. And that's why I absolutely love those receptions. Yeah, I mean, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't when it comes to defending Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill because they're a duo in a one-two punch, really unlike anything we've seen in a very, very long time. And if you're a little hesitant to take the over on Kelsey and Tyree Tyree Kill's player props in this game, 
Sure, it's understandable because both of their yardage over-unders are 95-plus. And like you just said, Kelsey's reception, 7.5. But I would just say don't even bother taking the under because you've seen what they can do. You saw what they did last week. And rooting for both of these players at the same time, or even or even one of them, to underperform what their projected numbers are, you're going to be sitting on the edge of your seat, and it's probably not going to end up going in your favor. So take the over on Kelsey and Tyreek Hill's player props, or just stay away from them. Absolutely agree, but let's flip it over to the other guy in 87 that I mentioned, Rob Gronkowski. We talked about legacy a lot to start, but you know, a ring here for Gronk I think would mean pretty big things for his legacy, especially because we have the most rings of any tight end ever, um, which which would be a nice addition to the fact that is he might go down as the goat of tight ends. Uh, Travis Kelsey, by the end of his career, might have a word to say about that. Maybe even George Kittle might have one. But here in another position where he's thrived year in and year out playing in four different Super Bowls, Robert Gronkowski only has a prop of 2.5 receptions or the one that we like better, 28.5 yards at minus 110. Frank, in the Super Bowl, he's averaging 74 and a quarter yards per game, along with .75 touchdowns. So he's scoring a touchdown in three of his four Super Bowls and pretty much hitting 100 in two of them. Uh, so 28.5 is a pretty low mark, Frank. What do you think about that one? It is a low mark, and he's been uncharacteristically quiet in the postseason. I mean, he had no catches against Washington. One catch for 14 yards against the Saints, and one catch for 29 yards against the Packers. So it's not totally surprising that the over-under for his yards is 28.5 in this game, but you just mentioned what he's done historically in the Super Bowl. In Gronk this year, compared to Gronk a couple of years ago when the Patriots made the Super Bowl against the Rams, still kind of a similar player. I mean, he's obviously not the athletic, dominant tight end that he was in his prime, but he's still capable of getting open. And you know Brady's going to be looking for him. And in a Super Bowl, Brady's going to throw the throw to players that he trusts. He's not going to take chances and throw to, throw to guys that he know that he isn't sure are going to be reliable for him. And Gronk is the epitome of that type of player. And 28 and a half to me, I think is going to be over. I think that Gronk gets a couple of catches in this game. Maybe it's only two. Maybe it's only three. Maybe it's only one. But I think Gronk is a factor in this game one way or another. Yeah, and that, that's a big thing in, in attempts is, you know, Gronk might only have had one catch against the Saints, but he had six targets, uh, a bunch of which came down streaks down the left side, which might be a big thing if the Chiefs, who enjoy playing too high, uh, commit a little bit more to Mike Evans on the outside and Chris Godwin on the inside, and then you're just leaving someone one-on-one with Rob Gronkowski. And I don't care how old Rob Gronkowski is, you can't leave one person one-on-one with him because he is a physical behemoth. Uh, And so that over is definitely an appetizing one. So make sure to eat that dish up because uh, it'll definitely be hitting over. Yeah, 100%. And in that 2018 Super Bowl, we were having the same conversation. People thought Gronk was maybe washed. He wasn't having a huge game. And then when Brady needed him, he came up with a huge long reception in the fourth quarter to put the Patriots in the red zone. And I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happens again. But I mentioned how in this game, I think Brady is going to throw to the guys that he trusts, Gronk being one of them. And this is a segue into another interesting prop. Tampa Bay players with receptions in this game. The over-under is set at 7.5. Last week, only seven 
Tampa Bay players caught receptions. And I think this is another game where six or seven guys catch a pass. I think the under here is a safer play. I think it'll be Gronk, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Cameron Brait, and Leonard Fournette. And that would be seven exactly. And then the question is, who would be the other guy that would catch a pass from Brady in this game to make the total eight? Would it be Tyler Johnson? Would it be Ronald Jones? I don't see Tampa Bay scripting up plays for those guys to get open. And I also don't see Brady really looking their way that often. I mean, it's the Super Bowl. Brady's been here nine times. He's smart enough to know who to throw to and who's going to be there for him, even after only spending a year with this roster. So I think the under of 7.5 for Tampa Bay players who catch a pass is the better play as opposed to the over. Yeah, and like you mentioned, he's been here nine times. In those nine times, he's never thrown to over eight receivers. Uh, The highest he's ever gone was seven. Uh, And in that one versus the Seahawks, most of those receptions were going to James White. Uh, And in this game, there's not really a running back that you're imagining he's going to throw to. And even if you see Leonard Fournette grabbing one, Ronald Jones has been a little bit of stone hands nowadays. And so you're really stretching the fact that you're going to ask Evans, Godwin, Miller, Gronkowski, Brait. You're really running out of options there. And as much as Tommy Terrific loves getting into smaller guys, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and you mentioned running backs, uh, Fournette, of guys who who Brady might throw to. Uh, I think we both think Fournette will have at least a reception in this game. That's not really a bold take, but the over-under for his receiving yards is 23.5, with the over coming in at minus 115. It's an interesting conversation because Fournette, who people are now billing playoff Lenny, has surprisingly been productive out of the backfield catching the ball in this postseason. In the past three games, he has 14 catches for 102 total yards with a touchdown, and he's been targeted 17 times. So Brady is looking his way. But do you think this three-game sample size is enough? you think this three-game sample size is enough to boost your confidence in taking the over on Fournette's 23.5 total uh, for this game? I'm hesitant on this one, and I think it's because of that three-game sample size that Vegas has a lot of his odds a little higher than I would have taken most of Leonard Fournette's. And I think a big thing that not many people are taking into account is while Ronald Jones has been active for the last two games, he hasn't been 100%, but this is going to be the first game he will be. And Bruce Arians, as we've seen for the first 16 games of the season, really likes Ronald Jones, and I expect him to be a much bigger part of it. Um, So I'm not really quite willing to take the under. I just don't see Leonard Fournette on the field as much uh, to get this position because Ronald Jones will be taking up a solid amount of his time. And, you know, you only get so many opportunities to get a target. And at 28 yards, like we mentioned earlier, I think Tom Brady might be looking a little bit further down the field in this huge game where he is playing as an underdog. Uh, and he'll be a lot less likely to go for that security blanket of a running back and more likely to throw it up to Rob Gronkowski or Cameron Brait uh, as more secure up-the-field safety blankets. So I'm not quite taking the under here. I just don't think I'm as confident as you are on that over. Right, and I think for both of these teams, uh, it's kind of the same conversation of you have the top targets, obviously, but after that, who's going to step up and kind of be an unsung hero? And I think you kind of see it in every single Super Bowl at least one or two offensive players end up end up having huge games or very impactful games, both in the box score and on the field. 
that you weren't really expecting to. Last year for the Chiefs, it was Damian Williams and, and Sammy Watkins. And Sammy Watkins is an interesting name who I actually think could end up having another big game here in this spot. He's been banged up. Surprise, surprise. The story of Watkins' career. He hasn't suited up in this postseason, so he's yet to catch a pass. But now he's had multiple weeks to rest up and recover. He said he feels good. He said that he's on track to play in this game. And his over-under for receiving yards is 35 and a half at minus 115. Obviously, the minus 115 isn't the greatest value. But I'll circle back to last year in the Super Bowl, where it's kind of the same conversation. A lot of people had already forgotten about walk-ins with Hill and Kelsey stealing all the spotlight for good reason. And that's even more so this time around. But against the 49ers, all Watkins did was catch five passes for 98 yards. He was kind of a key factor for Kansas City in winning that game. And Watkins is still a good player when he's on the field and when he's healthy. And if and like we said, if the Buccaneers are bracketing Tyree Kill, or if they really choose to try to key in on Kelsey, that's going to open up opportunities for other players. And Sammy Watkins is kind of kind of fits squarely into that category. So I like the over for Sammy's 35 and a half receiving yards. I definitely like that. And I think we alluded to it earlier, the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs have so many weapons up their pocket. And Sammy Watkins just seems like he fits the right skill set to be one of those guys on the receiving end of a special Andy Reid kind of play where maybe it was Wasp last year, uh, the year before that in the AFC Championship, it was that counter rollout. I don't know what's coming next. Obviously, only Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy know that. But it does feel like Sammy Watkins has been due to get the reception there. Uh, and, you know, throughout the season, they've been checking off the boxes of those special plays. We've seen those white, uh, those linemen runouts against the Ravens, against the Bucks. We saw that we saw their new version of Wasp come out, which ended in a 65-yard Tyreek Hill touchdown. Uh, we've even seen McCole Hardman get in on that double zig route, uh, that he is essentially the only thing that he is important to run anymore. Sammy Watkins has yet to find his niche in this uh, Chiefs offense. It kind of feels like maybe this is the day that Andy Reid was waiting and telling him, listen, it's, it's your day. We're getting into the special playbook. We're going to call you into play. Whatever funny name he may have named it, whatever historically great play it's going to be called, could definitely see it happening. Don't know if he's going to get multiple receptions, but I could definitely see him pulling off a nice 60-yard special play in Andy Reid's playbook. Yeah, you never know with, with Kansas City. I mean, the, the more you can do, uh, the better. And the more players you have who can do these things, all the same. And, you know, I'm curious, Rotem, on the flip side of the field with the Buccaneers, I'm trying to think of another complimentary receiver who could maybe also exceed expectations, but can't seem to lay my finger on one exactly. Maybe you'd be able to help me out. Well, Frank, I can definitely point you in the right direction. I've been right about these Buccaneers prop plays for the last three weeks. I've been talking about them. I got I got the Godwin right two weeks, uh, two weeks ago. Uh, and definitely managed to cover my butt on the Scotty Miller touchdown against the Saints. But here we are back again, and I'm looking at a different wide receiver. And while Scotty Miller seems to be the popular pick because he's a small white wide receiver, uh, which is Tom Brady's favorite during the Super Bowl, Antonio Brown's name kind of surprises me for a very similar reason that you had Watkins, is that 
it's been a little bit quiet. And like we talked about, the the Kansas City Chiefs will be playing too high, one bracketing at Tyreek Hill and one playing over top Kelsey. On the flip side, the Chiefs are also a base cover to defense, uh, and Steve Spagnuolo has been pretty committed to doing that, even against tough wide receiver cores, and he did it pretty much the entire time versus their Week 12 matchup. The big thing about that is, though, they bracketed Mike Evans, uh, and they left that other safety kind of in the middle of the field playing a little bit more of a cover 9 or a cover 6, perhaps, uh, and depending a lot on that backside cornerback to cover a lot of space. Frank, I, I know was Ravens fan, it might hurt to hear, but we've heard a lot about safety cornerbacks that get blown out by one certain receiver on the outside. Uh, and Jimmy Smith will tell you time and time again versus Antonio Brown and A.J. Green, when you leave a cornerback safety left over there on that side, you're still going to get blown out. And I think that's exactly been the case when they leave guys like Brashad Breeland to play that outside cover zone. It's going to have to make Breeland have to make a decision. Is he going to cover Antonio Brown? Is he going to cover Rob Gronkowski? As we talked about it before, he's probably going to go and play Gronk, and it's going to leave AB open on quite a few plays. And I'm not talking about, oh, there's a guy near him and maybe Brady's going to make the throw. There will be plays where the Chiefs defense is just not going to cover AB because it doesn't make sense to in that circumstance. And Tom Brady might not have the arm he used to, but he's definitely going to be able to connect with AB. And the prop there, Frank, is 41.5 receiving yards. Now, he hasn't been great this season on doing so. He has an average of 81. He's only played in five games in which his props have been active. Uh, But he's been pretty good with 6.2 receptions on the year and his receptions line at 3.5. I'm also not too scared of that, both saying at minus 110. But the prop I'm most excited about his touchdown, anytime score, Antonio Brown, plus 213. I don't know. I, I just feel like it's been this whole story since he joined the Patriots last year. Tom Brady likes Antonio Brown, and the things that he does that in the red zone and things he does as a receiver, as a complementary receiver to both Godwin and Evans, it just fits. And in the Super Bowl, when things matter, when Tom Brady's just going to heave one up like he did three times last week, uh, two weeks ago, and all three of them got picked. I don't know that the Chiefs have a guy outside of Tyron Matthew that's really going to be able to collect that. And so I've got full faith in Antonio Brown to find the end zone. So how do you feel about that touchdown anytime score, Antonio Brown? Well, he's an unpredictable player on and off the field. That goes without saying. I think that narrative-wise, I can 100% see that prop playing out because an AB, for as good as he's been over the years, maybe the best receiver in the league for a three-, four-year stretch, Never really had the glory and the fame in the big moment in a Super Bowl spot. And now he's kind of trying to rewrite the second half of his career. And in the biggest game of the year, with casual fans watching all over, having a big game, scoring a touchdown would kind of be a a reminder to people of how good he can be uh, when he's engaged and when he's on the field. So I can see it happening. I wouldn't necessarily love to see it happen because I still – uh, have a bit of a sour spot for A.B. from his time in Pittsburgh. But the guy who's throwing him the ball, of course, Tom Brady, I think it's going to throw an interception in this game. And this leads me to, to a two-part prop here. And I don't think it's crazy to say that Brady's going to throw an interception. He did just throw three interceptions in the second half of the NFC Championship game. In three out of the past four Super Bowls, Brady has thrown a pick. And in one of those, he's thrown multiple interceptions. And in this game, he's plus 240 to throw an interception before he throws a touchdown. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think those odds are 
somewhat enticing. And if he does throw an interception before a touchdown, that would kind of lay out the narrative that Brady has to pick up the pieces, overcome an early deficit, and do what he's done so many times before in the Super Bowl, especially, is that same very thing. I mean, we saw it against the Falcons. We've saw it, we've seen him do it multiple times. And the guy I think on the Chiefs defense, who's a good bet to get that interception, is Tyron Matthew, the honey badger. He's plus four fifty to have an interception in this game. And obviously, interceptions inherently are kind of unpredictable because they can come off tip passes. Um, There's so many different scenarios and factors that go into a player recording an interception, but the Honey Badger has six interceptions this season, and he's a big-time player. And big-time players make big-time plays. And whether it's off a tip pass or whether he's he reads Brady's eyes and jumps a passing lane, I would not be shocked at all if Tyrant Matthew gets an interception in this game. And he's plus 450 to do it, and I like those odds. In addition to liking the odds of Brady throwing an interception before a touchdown. I really like the Honey Badger ones because, as I just said with AB, I do expect at one point Tom Brady to just start chucking the ball downfield. He did it last, he did it two weeks ago, uh, and it's not an indictment on Brady in any way, shape, or form. Uh, like you mentioned, he's thrown an interception three out of the four Super Bowls, and he's won three out of the last four Super Bowls he played in. So, you know, in, in no way is this meaning that it's going to be a bad game for him. But, you know, let's not forget that Tom Brady's predecessor on the Bucks also led the league in interceptions. This is a system built for people to just chuck the ball down the field. It just so happens to be that Tom Brady, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, is pretty good at not landing the ball in other people's hands. But the Honey Badger, like you mentioned, has been pretty good this season about getting balls out of the air. And if things start getting desperate and Brady does happen to throw a wayward pass, if maybe off the fingertips of Mike Evans, as has happened a few times this season, just happens to land in the safety's pocket, I do entirely see that possible. On the Brady interception before touchdown, plus 240, an enticing number. But Brady does Brady does start hot. I think there's no way that they win this game unless they score a touchdown and probably their first two drives. They're going to have to start hot. I don't imagine that Brady will be throwing the ball a lot in the first few drives. So I'm a lot more honey badger here at the plus 450. But I do get what you're saying at the plus 240. Good value for the solid chance that he throws a pick before a TD. You think he's going to throw an interception in general at some point in this game? I would 100% put money down that he will throw an interception at some point. And while already talking about defensive props, Frank, I do like talking about defense, but there's one guy specifically I want to talk about. Uh, and while he has pretty good odds for a later thing I want to talk about, uh, uh, specifically, I think there's one guy that needs to have a good game for the Buccaneers to be in any way, shape, or form competitive. It's Shaq Barrett. Now, defenders have never had a good time versus Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, but there's one name that comes to mind when you think about greatest defenders versus Tom Brady. Uh, and if they're not on the Giants, it's Grady Jarrett, who had three sacks versus Tom, probably was going to be Super Bowl MVP if the Falcons had won that game. For them to play well here, then a guy on Tom Brady's team is going to have to play well and could potentially steal the MVP crown right up from under him as a quarterback. And it's Shaq Barrett. Him or JPP have to combine for at least three or four sacks on Patrick Mahomes to really put the Bucks in contention for this game, which is going to be hard. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in not even just the league, probably ever against the Blitz. Uh, and it's just hard to bring him down when he's just so mobile, so able to get down. But both of his tackles are gone. I did mention, you know, they might not be all pros, but they're still competent starters. And even competent starters get beat. Mahomes is also dealing with a toe injury. 
potentially a concussion, but that's hush-hush under the table. We don't talk about that. We can't. We can't. We're not allowed. Goodell's coming for us after that one. But I just think that there is a solid chance that this will be a lot of Todd Bowles messing around to try and get his best pass rushers onto Mahomes as quick as possible to make sure that he doesn't have time to move around. And that's probably going to come out of the way of Shaq Barrett, since JPP does tend to play a little bit bigger on the inside. He'll be going against those starting guards um, of the Chiefs. We'll be dealing with their starting center, more likely, along with Vita Vea and Ndamukong Sue. And I think that it's Barrett who's going to probably be left as the free edge rusher more often than not. It's going to be White probably on the other side of him, and he's definitely going to be a big part of that. Uh, but if you were to think that Shaq Barrett were to pick up a sack, there are there is a pretty good odds here of him not only having the most sacks in the game at plus 355, uh, but for him just to get a sack at any point. Uh, I think these odds are... Ones I would definitely take, and surprisingly only a plus 115. Sacks, obviously kind of hard to predict, uh, but in a game where we're anticipating three or four from this Buccaneers defense, Barrett's name is going to be one of those. So, Frank, would you agree? I, I think this is really free money. Yeah, it's not often that anything is considered free money, but guy we're talking about at three sacks last week against the Packers, I dare say that, that Shaq Barrett was maybe the single biggest factor from a player perspective for that Buccaneers victory over Green Bay. He was one of the NFL sack leaders last season with double digits. The only thing that would concern me is that if you exclude last week's three sack performance in the four games before that, he did not find his way into the sack column. But again, like you said, it's unpredictable in many ways. Sacks are a quarterback stat. And with the Chiefs down both tackles, I'd be surprised if Barrett doesn't find his way to bring Mahomes down uh, at least once. And when he does bring him down, he might Mahomes might make a doink noise when he hits the ground. And that same doink noise leads me into talking about kicking, which has been a hot topic in the NFL this year. Rodham, you and I both know this has been one of the more putrid years for, for kickers in the NFL from start to finish. I could go through hundreds, not hundreds, I could go through countless examples of kickers missing field goals and extra points this year, and the list would go on and on. And for this game specifically, on Tampa Bay side, you have Ryan Suckup, who's missed four extra points in the past eight games. And you have Harrison Butker, who's missed, who's missed an extra point and a field goal in the postseason. And when you miss an extra point or a field goal, it can either be wide of the goalpost or it can hit the goalpost. And there's a prop here. Will either kicker hit the upright slash crossbar in this game? And it's plus 450, yes. Now, obviously, you'd be getting to the weeds, trying to find the the math behind how likely it is to for a kicker to exactly hit that narrow yellow pole. But we saw Justin Tucker, maybe the best kicker in NFL history, do that twice in one game, in one half from 40 yards out both times against the Bills two weeks ago. And if you're telling me that Justin Tucker can hit the upright twice in a row, then all bets are off. And with the way that kicking has gone this year, with the crapshoot that it's been, at plus 450, I would throw a flyer on that happening from either one of these kickers. Also, their last names, Butker, Suckup, it seems like something's bound to happen with these two players at some point. Frank, I don't think we've ever had one bit of analysis so eloquently stated as that. I've got nothing to add. I'm definitely taking that one. It's looking like the weather in Tampa is going to be beautiful. 
uh, over 70 degrees, little to no wind. But the uh, kicking, great... the kicking might not be beautiful. The kicking is likely to not be beautiful as it has not been all season. Right there with you. Kicking into an upright. Worth the odds. Worth the flyer. 100%. And before we move off this topic, if you had to choose which last name to choose, if you had to choose either of these last names to be your own, Butker or Suckum, both kind of embarrassing. Definitely some substance material for some inappropriate and degrading jokes. Uh, which one of those would you choose? I think I'd have to lean Butker. I think there's more jokes to be made there, but I think I th- Suckup is, it, it really it really hits home, you know? Well, I don't know. Uh, and it's an interesting conversation. There's no odds on these kickers' last names, as there should not be. And let's move on here to another prop. One of my favorite Rotom that hits close to home is the first touchdown in this game, the player to score first. It's a prop that we have debated on week in and week out throughout the NFL season. It's one of the more frustrating bets to place in all of football because for as much research and data and scientific analysis you can try to do to predict who's going to score first, at the end of the day, it's an un- it's unpredictable in nature. And yet, time and time again, we still place bets on it. We still try to see who's going to score first. And I ask you, Rotom, who do you think is going to score the first touchdown in this game, knowing that you, of course, have the list with all the odds right in front of you? Knowing that I would have the list, shameless plug, by the way, you can also find that list on our Instagram where I've made multiple posts about these props and specifically about this one did list out all of those players. But I think the big stat to know for first to score is that in the Super Bowl, at least 72% of the team that scores first end up winning the game. And so as the guy backing the Chiefs, I'm probably going to pick someone off the Chiefs side. If I were to say the Bucks, I think Fournette's probably my best. I already just talked about that. I think they're going to run the ball a lot to start the game, so Fournette's a good way to go. But for the Chiefs, I'm swinging for the fences. And just like you mentioned earlier, Sammy Watkins just seems like maybe it's got to be somewhere in there. Last year, they started off with that Patrick Mahomes run. They tried to go to Anthony Sherman, but he just didn't get it the play before. The play before that, they went for the uh, the counter rollout, tried to get at Travis Kelsey. They fell down at the two, put it in a good position for Patrick Mahomes to make a scamper inside. I don't know. It just feels like the first time they hit the red zone, that's when they pull out their secret weapon. They remind everyone, hey, not only is Andy Reid a genius, Eric Bieniemy should have been a head coach and is a genius that for some reason no one hired, but also we have enough weapons to murder you for four Super Bowls. Just let us win this one. So I'm going Sammy Watkins on here, but Frank, you are the man with the data, the graphs, the research, the knowledge, and are consistently more right about this one than I am. So Frank, I think the people really want to know, who do you think is going to score first? Well, Sammy Watkins is a good, low-key shot in the dark, and I like that analogy. And out of all the opening drive touchdowns in the NFL this year from every single team, most of the touchdowns were scored by wide receivers at a 35% clip, the next closest being running backs at 29%. But looking at these two teams specifically, for Kansas City, it's Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill who should be considered the most likely to score first. Both of them have scored the first touchdown for the Chiefs five times this year each. That's 10 times between the two of them. And that's the biggest reason why Kelsey is the favorite, plus 500, and Tyreek is tied for second at plus 700. 
But the guy I like in this spot is Mahomes. A Mahomes rushing touchdown in general is plus 300 in this game. And he's been the Chiefs' first scorer on the ground three times this season, all three of those times. He was also the first player from either team to find the end zone. He scored a rushing touchdown against the Browns in the divisional round. He did it against the 49ers last year in the Super Bowl, which was also the first touchdown in that game. And it's plus 2,000. And when they get in the red zone, you mentioned how creative the Chiefs can get. We saw it last year when they did the spinning play with four players in the backfield. That same play set up Mahomes to score that rushing touchdown off a read option. And at plus 2,000, give me Mahomes to score first via a rushing touchdown. That's great analysis, Frank. Um, but I am interested. That toe injury that we had talked about earlier, do you think that's going to influence that at all? Because Mahomes' rushing yards props are specifically low. Do you think he's going to have a good game on the ground? I think it's possible. I don't think the Chiefs are going to be calling design run plays for him. That's It's a little hard to bet on Mahomes' rushing yards total. So I would stay away from that total just because it's unpredictable and you don't imagine that Mahomes is going to be running all that much. But I think at some point he'll be running into the end zone. And I think it's going to happen first. Well, lucky for Mahomes, uh, he's not a running back. He is a quarterback, so the big thing there is uh, that he's still going to be good enough to have a good game, even though he might not be doing it on the ground. But Frank, I guess the big question in prop-wise, is he going to have a good enough game to be the best player of the game? Following the trend, seeing that we're both taking the Chiefs, and the trend has always been that the winning quarterback, just like last year, is going to pick up the silverware. Uh, at minus 105, Patrick Mahomes for Super Bowl MVP, is that going to be your pick? Or are you thinking a little bit outside the box elsewhere in the arsenal of weapons coming in, in Kansas City? Well, it goes without saying that Mahomes should be the favorite to win MVP. And the odds on that have kind of fluctuated throughout the week. At one point, it was minus 120. It's all the way down to minus 105. If the Chiefs win, I think there's a not there's an 85 to 90, 90% chance that Mahomes is MVP. And last year in the Super Bowl was far from his best game. I mean, he's had two interceptions and two touchdowns. And yes, he led them to a second half comeback. But a lot of people thought that Damon Williams maybe should have won that MVP. He had a strong case because he had 130 total yards and two touchdowns. And if Mahomes can throw two picks and still win MVP, it's difficult for me to imagine a scenario in which he plays significantly worse than that and doesn't win MVP. I mean, it would have to be it would have to be a very un-Mahomes-like performance for him not to win MVP if the Chiefs win. But there are some some other good odds here, like Tyreek Hill plus 1,400, Travis Kelsey plus 1,500. I think if the Chiefs win and it's not Mahomes, it's got to be one of the pass catchers. And the question is, Rodham, between Hill and Kelsey, we've talked a lot about, about both of them. Is it easier to say that one of them is more likely to win MVP than the other, or is it kind of just neck and neck? I think it becomes neck and neck. It's really just going to be based on opportunity. But if you're thinking about who's going to get more opportunities, we already talked about it, it does seem like Kelsey's going to be more in line for more receptions. But on the other hand of that, Hill is more in line to get more yards. So that is the kind of counteracting balance. Personally, I'm more of a Kelsey guy. I know you are as well. And the fact that he has higher odds of plus 1,500 definitely makes me pick that between the two. Um, but Frank, I imagine you're also going Kelsey between those guys, right? Yeah, I would. Uh, I think 
you kind of hit the nail on the head. Hill is more of a threat for big plays, but I think Kelsey, you can count on more to have eight to 10 catches in 90 plus yards. Whereas Hill, you know, he's going to have, he's a big play threat for sure. But we mentioned how the Buccaneers may key on him, key in on him more than Kelsey. So I think Kelsey is the safer bet and you're getting slightly better odds. So if it's not Mahomes, I think Kelsey would be the better play. It is absolutely, but Frank, as we move over a little bit to the dirtier side of the ball, let's talk about Tyron Matthew for a little bit. Now, defenders don't really tend to win Super Bowl MVP. Shout out Ray Lewis, 2000. Uh, We also saw Von Miller in Super Bowl 50. Uh, And of course, Malcolm Smith, who won Super Bowl MVP for getting a pick six. The Honey Badger. We already talked about the fact that we do think there's a solid chance he gets a pick. If he happens to return that pick for a touchdown and this game hits the under, meaning that Mahomes hasn't lit up the scoreboard... I think there's a solid chance that he is the guy that gets the, the the credit because not only are you destroying the offense's drive, you're also putting up points by yourself. And not many players can say they put up single-handed points in a Super Bowl. Obviously, guys that were already mentioned uh, all managed to score. James Harrison on the 100-yard return. Uh, Jacoby Jones, another shout-out. Raven, the longest kick return in history. Not many players get to do that by themselves uh, outside of the offense. And I think Matthew's uh, odds uh, at plus 5,000 are pretty good. Um, but swing it over just in case, just in case, if you were crazy enough to think that Tom Brady is good enough, uh, to win in the Super Bowl, I don't think in any way, shape or form, the MVP should fall to him. Obviously he's second, uh, in odds because he's a quarterback at plus 200, but if they win the Super Bowl, as alluded to earlier with Shaquille Barrett, Shaquille Barrett should 100% be in contention for this MVP. He was last year's sacks leader, as you mentioned. Not a lot of sacks this year, but he has to get to Mahomes for them to have a shot at this game. Him and Devin White, both at plus 5,000, definitely deserve a look if you think the Bucks are going to win this one because there's just no way. There's no way that they can win the Super Bowl without great performances at that, at that duo. I already said it. I think Devin White deserves the MVP of the playoffs if, like the MLB, the NFL had an award for that. Uh, but Barrett is the guy I'm eyeing specifically there. Great odds, great chance. He knows how to get to a, he knows how to get to the quarterback. He has the easiest of the five offensive linemen, uh, and he is also going to be playing on Mahomes' worst side as he takes the most sacks from that right tackle position, which Barrett usually mans. White usually comes off the opposite side. He'll be facing Mike Remmers uh, on the inside shoulder of JPP. So matchup wise, it does seem like Barrett's going to be the best one. So if you were a Bucks fan. Or a guy that thinks, or a person that thinks that defense is gonna win the MVP. Matthew for the Chiefs is my pick, uh, and Barrett for the Bucks. Any thoughts on a defensive MVP winner? It wouldn't be crazy, and obviously it's a quarterback award. But quarterback has only won in, in four out of the past seven Super Bowls, won the MVP. So it's not like it's a foregone conclusion that the MVP that the MVP is going to be a quarterback. It's also not a foregone conclusion that the MVP is going to be an offensive player. And I'm glad that you segue into the defense because if for some reason that this game turns out to be a slugfest and both offenses are underwhelming, and specifically if the Buccaneers pull off the upset, we've both kind of alluded to this, it's going to have, it's going to be on the strength of their defense. Uh, Tom Brady is plus 200 to win MVP, which he should be because he is, I think, the most likely player from the Bucs to win MVP if they win. But again, if the Buccaneers do pull off the upset, it's probably going to be because their defense did most of the heavy lifting and found a way to really slow down the Chiefs' offense. And Shaq Barrett, plus 5,000, I love that. We saw, like I said, last week he had three sacks. If Barrett has a multi-sack performance with a forced fumble 
and a couple of huge tackles or just huge impact plays, that's something that people notice. And people don't often notice defensive players when it comes to the MVP in the Super Bowl, but it takes those big plays to really make their mark. And Shaq Barrett, certainly within the cards, that could happen. And if it's not Shaq Barrett, JPP at plus 8,000, the other pass rusher on the other side, also not a bad bet either. Yeah, absolutely not a bad bet. Frank, this has been a great coverage of the game, uh, of the intricacies, the analysis, what could happen, what might not happen, who's going to play well, who's not going to play well. Let's get exotic. It's the best part of the Super Bowl. Uh, You know, this Sunday coming up is the biggest day for betting uh, all over the world, Uh, bigger than the World Cup final, bigger than the Champions League final, bigger than any other sports game that happens anywhere else. It's the Super Bowl. It's the game that matters mostly because of the stuff that doesn't happen on the field. So, Frank, any exotic props that you're looking at? Oh, absolutely. And this is the part of the podcast that everyone came for. They've sat through the hour-long the hour-long portion of us giving our predictions and our analysis about what's happening in-game, the football perspective. But, you know, Rodham, what people really want to hear is all of the exotic and the miscellaneous props. And we just talked about MVP. One of the big questions is, when that person wins MVP, when they get their microphone in front of them, who are they going to thank first? It's one of the hottest conversations every year. And this year, the odds are teammates, minus 150, God slash Jesus, plus 210, family, plus 550, city, plus 650, and then there's a big gap to coach at plus 1400, owner at plus 1600, and also, at plus 1,400, is that the MVP just doesn't thank anybody. Your thoughts? Uh, well, you know, if you look at exactly who we were just talking about, well, Patrick Mahomes, the favorite, he's going to say teammates. He's a team-first guy. Uh, he may have had some recent family events, which may lead you to believe that maybe it's girlfriend slash wife uh, and or any part of that family. But I definitely think that Patrick Mahomes, without a doubt, thanks either the city of Kansas City or his teammates, I'll lean a little bit over to the city just because the COVID, because they're not playing at home. Maybe it's a little rub in the face to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't know. Something's calling the city for me on Patrick Mahomes. But if it's anyone else and you're going with Shaq Barrett or any of the defenders, God or Jesus, it's never a bad way to go. Definitely not. And what about if it's Tom Brady? What if he wins Super Bowl MVP? Now, if it's Tom Brady, as anyone who would be married to Giselle Bündchen should, should thank Giselle Bündchen first before anyone else and his children that he also likes kissing in the mouth. Uh, But yeah, as Tom Brady should, every single day he wakes up next to her, should thank, at all times, her for existing. Absolutely. And, you know, Brady, big family guy, rightly so. And I also think that if it's somebody like Barrett or like JPP, Somebody who's been with the Buccaneers for a couple of years now, longer than Brady. I think City at plus 650, kind of echoing what you were saying, maybe might be the safest bet if you're not confident who's going to win Super Bowl MVP. Because Barrett, because Barrett or JPP, maybe the first thing they say, playing in Tampa Bay at their home stadium would be something along the lines of, it feels great to win the Super Bowl for the city of Tampa Bay. Something something of that nature, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Oh, I'm picking it up, but you know what else people are going to have to pick up, Frank, is a Gatorade jug, uh, and it's probably the most world-renowned prop that comes with the Super Bowl, and it's what color is going to be the Gatorade poured on the winning coach. We're obviously saying it's going to be Andy Reid. Last year, Andy Reid got covered in orange Gatorade. 
for this year that is going to be the favorite at plus 125 followed by red slash pink at plus 300 clear slash water at plus 350 yellow slash green slash lime at plus 450 blue at plus 750 and purple at plus 900 frank you think it's a repeat of last year or you feeling a little exotic picking another color another flavor all the colors of the rainbow uh, would suffice but I think it's got to be orange at plus 125. It's something that you've said. It was orange last year. It's been orange more often than not. That is technically the official color of Gatorade. And if it ain't broke, uh, don't fix it. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's also a superstition thing. Maybe they just don't recover. Maybe they just decide, hey, we won a Super Bowl with orange. Let's not, uh, let's not mess with that. Uh, if you were to bet on the Bucks, by the way, in, when they won their Super Bowl versus the Raiders in 2002, their color was purple. Uh, so, you know, maybe they harken back and you get that plus 900 could be pretty juicy if you are a Bucks fan. Absolutely. And, you know, somebody has to pick up that jug and pour it on the coach. In this case, Andy Reid, who we think is going to be their coach for the second year in a row. And last year it was Travis Kelsey and a couple of other defensive players who picked up that jug of Gatorade and poured it on Andy Reid's luscious head. And the odds on which players, position players, that is, will pour Gatorade on the winning coach. Defensive players, minus 150. Offensive players, plus 150. Both a mixture of offensive and defensive, plus 200. It's kind of difficult to predict this, Rotom, but if you had to put your money somewhere, would you go offensive, defensive, or both? Well, off the bat, I'm ruling off defensive because 100% certainty, you mentioned Travis Kelsey as the only named person you mentioned there. There's no way I see that Travis Kelsey isn't the guy pouring it again. He's insane. He's crazy. This definitely seems like one of those things that's just right up his alley that he wants to be the guy pouring on him. Uh, and so I'm definitely between offensive or both. Uh, it sounds like both has much better odds, so I'm going to stick with both on this one. Yeah, I think so. Kelsey is a guy who likes the spotlight. Unless he's on the field, occupied when they're pouring the Gatorade on Andy Reid, he'll be the one who's holding it, and it's just a matter of who's to his left and who's to his right. But you know, Rotom, we're going to move on to some other props here. I've got a collection of exotic props that I know you have not looked at, or at least don't have right in front of you. And I'm going to throw a couple of them at you. We can just go rapid fire, and you can you can give your take, because I know people uh, are interested in hearing it, if that's all right with you. Hit, hit me with them. Oh, I would love to. Uh, will a fan run onto the field during this game? We know there's going to be less fans than usual, maybe more space to maneuver your way onto the field, less people to go through. Plus 100, yes. Minus 1,600, no. Uh, I'm going to go with no. The people of Florida might be crazy, but I feel like this is not the Super Bowl where the NFL is going to be messing around. Security probably is going to be a little bit higher than it usually is, and I imagine that this is an easy no. Interesting, interesting. Here's a here's a good one. What will happen to the price of Bitcoin during the Super Bowl? A lot of talk about Bitcoin. Doge in the news lately. The price of Bitcoin goes up during the Super Bowl, it's minus 150. The price of Bitcoin goes down, plus 110. I'm interested what you think between these two and maybe what factors could impact this, if any at all. Okay, Frank, you know I'm a big fan of conspiracy theories and an aficionado of cryptocurrency. Uh, as you and I well know, we're both very much in that Dogecoin game. Make sure you stay in that so we can all make money. Uh, hold the line. Hold the line. Uh, go to the moon. Uh, but you know what else is probably not going to go to the moon? It's probably going to be Bitcoin. Now, if I dare say, you know what people use a lot to buy with Bitcoin? It's hard drugs. 
Uh, and about a lot of people, according to Action Network, have put quite a lot of their money on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, which means that they could be losing a lot of that money per our predictions. Now, those people could turn to drugs when they need that, so they'll probably be using some of that Bitcoin. When Bitcoin gets used, it is disappearing from the market, and thus there is less of a market cap, which would lower the price. So I'm saying Bitcoin goes down afterwards because people are going to be depressed about losing all their money. Well, you heard it here first. Don't do drugs and don't invest in Bitcoin uh, during the Super Bowl, courtesy of the officiant himself, uh, Rodham Kaufman. The question is, Rodham, will any player be ejected for throwing a punch or fighting in this game? Uh, we, you've got some big personalities, Antonio Brown, uh, Chris Jones. We saw the Chiefs get into a little bit of a scuffle with the Bills last week. Plus 750, yes. Minus 2,000, no. Is something going to be in that Florida water? Yeah, well, something's got to give, Frank. And, you know, this just feels like an easy one to just take a flyer on the yes. I don't really have someone to pinpoint. Uh, Obviously, last week's fight was 100% the Bills' fault. I can't even believe that the Chiefs even got indicted. Obviously, throwing a punch is a problem, but three of their guys threw punches and one guy threw a football in someone's face. I don't understand how the Bills didn't have anyone ejected from that game. Uh, And their game versus the Ravens, quite a few Ravens got ejected. So what I'm figuring out, Frank, is that the Chiefs are the reason that other teams' players get ejected. One of the Buccaneers is going to get ejected. I don't think it's going to be on offense. I'm looking towards Shaquille Barrett. Maybe JPP loses another finger and gets real mad about it. I'm going with a yes. One of the Buccaneers is going to get ejected. Could happen. Maybe maybe out of frustration late in the game. Maybe Shaq Barrett takes a swing at Mahomes, knowing that he's not going to win Super Bowl MVP. Maybe Carlton Davis. Some of their cornerbacks maybe get a little chippy. Could be. Could be. Uh, one more here before I move on to talking about some halftime show. How many times will Roger Goodell be shown on the television screen? Goodell will certainly be in attendance. He's going to be in a suite or in a, pre- or in a luxury box like he always is. Over one and a half is even. Under one and a half is minus 140. Goodell, screen time. Your thoughts. Hi, I'm, I'm buying low, selling high on Goodell, because like we started this episode with, this has been Goodell's greatest season to date, because he looks good this season. There's no deflate gate, there's no bounty gate, there's no whatever gate you want to go with that is littered throughout Goodell's season. This has been a pretty successful one, and obviously props to Goodell, well done. Uh, and I'm sure that's going to get mentioned one, so that crosses off the box of the first one. Now the second thing to remember is that Tom Brady has been connected to Roger Goodell due to all of those gates and the cheating scandals that come with the Patriots. So I'm sure at some point Tony Romo or Jim Nance will make a slight about the phone or the hearings or the suspension that all came in 2016. And, you know, naturally the cameraman will pan to Roger Goodell and bam, that's two. Yeah, ever since the draft, the virtual draft, where Goodell was announcing picks in his basement, uh, sitting in his nice leather chair with his legs crossed, he, I don't know, he, he's acting different. I don't know if it's something he's eating, but he, he looks healthy, like you said. I agree, in, I agree with that sentiment. He's in the Zoom spotlight, uh, and, you know, he'll be enjoying this weekend. Well, we, you know, Frank, maybe enjoy a different kind of weekend. For the first time ever produced by Rock Nation, the company made by Jay-Z, will be seeing The Weeknd, one of your favorite artists, Frank, performing in the halftime show. Props as a as a weekend aficionado. The weekend got, does The Weeknd fans have any names? Like Bieber Fever or something like that? Like, uh, yeah, Bieber Fever for The Weeknd? Well, I have Bieber Fever uh, for The Weeknd. Definitely one of my favorite artists. I'm not sure what, what his fan club is called. I'm not the person you would want to ask that. But I got to say, 
and maybe I'm being biased here, but I think that this could be one of the best halftime performances that we've seen in a very, very long time. And there's a lot of pressure riding on this halftime performance, right? Because there's going to be thousands and thousands of less fans than there would be usually. There's a lot of negative stuff going on in the world right now. And a lot of people watch the Super Bowl to kind of escape from things going on in the world. And it's a lot of casual things who are watching the halftime show. And it's one of the biggest appeals to the non-football aficionados who are just watching for an entertainment perspective. And for the weekend, I think he's going to live up to those expectations. And it was floating around on Twitter last week. So I'm not spoiling any news here, but there was a leaked track list of what for the halftime show. And I can't verify it. I can't give away my sources, but it's out there. You can find it. Whether or not you want to believe it's accurate is up to interpretation. But that track list has three features for this halftime show. That would be Daft Punk, Kendrick Lamar, and Ariana Grande. And if that's true, Kendrick Lamar and Daft Punk, there are no odds on them appearing in the halftime show. It certainly would be entertaining, but it's not something you can necessarily make money on. But Ariana Grande is plus 315 to perform at the halftime show. And of course, her and The Weeknd have their hit, have their hit song from a few years ago, Love Me Harder. Pretty good song, Rotom. I'm sure you would agree. Plus 315 for one of the more popular artists in the world, that being Ariana Grande. Not crazy to think that she could show up on the stage. It's not crazy, and I think it's definitely worth a flyer if you like this list. But I think I'm not really buying this this supposed leaked list. A, because I don't think it would get leaked. You know, the NFL, as I mentioned, great security. Uh, props again to Roger Goodell. Another time they would pan to him, making that three for yeah. us. Yeah, um, we're, in hot wa- we're in hot water right now. I shouldn't have brought that up. <laughs> uh, but I, I just think that aside from Travis Scott a few years ago with Maroon 5, and that was not quite a great performance, probably known as one of the reasons that Rock Nation has come on and tried to save the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, there hasn't really been a, a bigger artist perform with the artists, and as much as I know you love The Weeknd, I dare say Ariana Grande is a much bigger artist, and that same f- logic, I think, goes to Kendrick Lamar, so I don't really trust this list, and I don't think I would bet on it, but I I just don't see Ariana being there. I think there are a few other features that I don't know if you have on that list, but uh, you know, Doja Cat, who uh, performs uh, in in your eyes uh, with the weekend at plus three seventy five, is the one I'm particularly looking at. Kind of fits the mold of a person you bring out, not quite on the same tier list as you as a celebrity, but still an important part of the song. And on top of that, the song they have together, I don't think it's one of his premier songs. You know, I'd say there's eight or seven or eight songs that I think he'd play before that that are especially more hype, uh, including of course Starboy with Daft Punk. Um, and and in your eyes with both Kenny G and Doja Cat, I just don't see Ariana being there. Well, that would be disappointing uh, to a lot of people, I imagine. Uh, do you think there'll be a wardrobe malfunction at this halftime show? It's plus 1,000, yes. We've seen it before, but The weekend is, is kind of a tight, buttoned-up guy, you know? He's not somebody who you would think would have a wardrobe malfunction, but maybe Doja Cat or maybe Ariana if they're on stage. What do you think? Uh, I would actually take the yes on this one. I think I said yes last year as well because it's just worth the flyer at that value. But uh, supposedly The weekend has put $7 million of his own dollars into this halftime show. 
Uh, and you've got to imagine that at least one of those dollars has gone into wardrobe, uh, and which makes me think that there's going to be a wardrobe change, uh, which, by the way, there's odds on there being a wardrobe change over 0.5 at minus 380. Uh, and I think that during the wardrobe change, if there being one, always leaves a chance for there to be a potential Janet Jackson-esque nipple slip. Uh, <laughs> on top of that, like you said, other potential artists have a chance. There's always a chance. Nudity on television, always fun. Uh, so, yeah, always I fun to root for. Always fun to put money on, you know, Rue 4, why not? Yeah, exactly. It's a fun little prop. Maybe Daft Punk takes their helmet off by accident. Does that count? It could. It could. And that would be interesting because I don't think anyone knows what they actually look like. And the last odds I'm going to throw out here for the halftime show, what will be the last song played during the halftime show? Blinding Lights, minus 240. Unless you've been living under a rock for the past year, you know this song. It's on the radio. All the time. You can't get away from blinding lights. And I know it's minus 240. It's not the, the best value. But I don't think there's any chance that it's not the last song that The weekend pulls out of his, of his choreography. It's his hit song right now. It's one of the biggest reasons he's performing at this halftime show. And I think we'll all be blinded by the lights at the end of the halftime show. Because I think it's going to be the last song that he performs. Yeah, I think so too. I think the only candidate otherwise that I think should be taking a look at is After Hours uh, because it is the final song in his newest album, uh, also the namesake of that album. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Every single halftime show, if you look for the last four years, pretty much finishes on one of the artist's biggest hits. Uh, and Blinding Lights, without a doubt, is The weekend's current biggest hit. So while not the greatest odds, it is nearing a certainty at this point. Right, 100%. And regardless of what happens... I think it's going to be a good halftime show. I think it's going to be a good Super Bowl. And overall, from start to finish, I think we're in for an absolute treat. Whether you're a diehard football fan like us, whether you have money at stake also like us, or whether you're just watching uh, just to watch, it's fun for the whole family. It is fun for the whole family and hopefully for the whole world. I think we've said it every single week for the playoffs, for the regular season, opening day. Football back has been a real mainstay and a real on a real positive part of uh, what has been a pretty depressing last year. Uh, and it disappearing is going to be sad, but at least we get to finish on what is looking like going to be a phenomenal game. But Frank, if I may ask you one last question here before we depart, this is getting to be quite a long episode. Not only is it our anniversary episode, by the way, happy anniversary, Frank. I don't think I mentioned that at the very beginning, but uh, happy anniversary to us. Yeah, you too, buddy. You too. If you had... Just $10. Just $10. You can bet on any one of these props. What is your favorite prop of the game? Well, Rodham, if I had $10 to put on any of the props that we've gone through, I think it would be that two-point conversion model that I mentioned. And the combination of the likelihood that I think it actually will happen, combined with the odds that you're getting it at, a two-point conversion being successful at plus 275, why not? I mean, these are two coaches that are not afraid to take risks, two quarterbacks that you can trust to convert a two-point conversion in the red zone. I think it's going to happen. And plus 275, if you put $10 on that, you're telling me I can get 27 and a half in profit. I'll take that any day of the week. I mean, you can do a lot with $27.5. And with $0, I could ask you what prop you would bet on out of all of them if you had $10. Uh, if I had to, just with $10, I think I would go for the first prop I listed in the entire thing. It's going to be Chiefs minus 6.5 at plus 150. 
I I don't think I've ever watched a Super Bowl where I've ever felt so certain of an outcome. Uh, even with the Patriots Super Bowls earlier on in the decade versus the Giants, it, it, this it just feels like a foregone conclusion that the Chiefs are going to win this one. And I really do see the argument for the Buccaneers, but this is a dynasty in the making. And sometimes you've just got to bow down. You know, we as Raven fans, we know sometimes there are just better teams at play, and the Chiefs are that better team. I'm not going to. I'm going to go so far as to take minus nine point five actually as the outline of a uh, plus two thirty. So uh, you might be making $27 there. I will be making 23 uh, and some good props to be taken. Absolutely. And the Chiefs are the team you hate because they're so good, the team you hate to root for. But at the end of the day, you love to watch from a football perspective. And with them and the Buccaneers, it's going to be a great Super Bowl. And I, for one, cannot wait. Absolutely. And if you can't wait any longer, like I mentioned earlier, you can check out our Twitter and our Instagram uh, that by the time that Super Sunday rolls around, will be filled with beautiful illustrations made by yours truly uh, and countless graphics, information, props that you can take, and a little bit more information on all of those. Make sure to check us out at PlayItPod, both on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, our Twitters might not be as filled, but we may lead you back to where you go, especially if you follow Frank, uh, who will retreat all of our amazing graphics to hell. Uh, and you can find me at Rodham Kaufman and Frank, where they can find all of those retweets. Where can they go? You can find me on Twitter at FrankJP0. And a quote from the late, great Vince Lombardi, a prominent figure in every Super Bowl. He once said, it's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. Beautiful words from Mr. Lombardi. We'll see who wins his namesake trophy and will get back up to see you next season. <laughs>